ஹலோ அண்ட் வெல்கம் டு சங்கம் லிட் திஸ் இஸ் நந்தினி கார்கி அண்ட் இன் திஸ் எபிசோட் வி சி த நேச்சர் ஆஃப் அ கிங்ஸ் பர்சனாலிட்டி கம் அ லைஃப் அஸ் போர்ட்ரேட் இன் சங்கம் லிட்ரரி ஒர்க் புறநானூறு ஒன் ஃபிஃப்டி பெண்ட் அபவுட் த வேலர் கிங் கண்டீர கோப்பெரும் நல்லி பை த போயட் ஒன் பரணர் set in the category of padam tinai or king's praise the verse narrates an incident that happened one day in the life of the poet kudir parundin irinjiragu anna paariya sidaren palavu mudal porundi tannum ullen piridu pulam padarnda yen uyangu padar varuthamum ulaivum nokki மான்கணம் தொலைச்சிய குருதியம் கழல்கால் வான்கதிர் திருமணி விளங்கும் சென்னி செல்வ தோன்றல் ஓர் வல்வில் வேட்டுவன் தொழுதனன் எழுவேர் கை கவித்து இறியி இழுதின் அன்ன வாழ்நின கொழுங்குரை காணதர் மயங்கிய இளையர் வல்லே தாம் வந்து எய்தா அளவை ஒய்யென தான் நெலி தீயின் விரைவனன் சுட்டு நின் இரும்பேர் ஒக்களொடு தின் என தருதலின் ஆமிழ்தின் மிசைந்து காய்ப்பசி நீங்கி நல்மரன் நளிய நருந்தன் சாரல் கல்மிசை அருவி தன்னென பருகி விடுத்தல் தொடங்கினேனாக வல்லே பெருதற்கு அரிய வீருசால் நன்கலம் பிரிது ஒன்று இல்லை காட்டு நாட்டேன் என மார்பில் பூண்ட வயங்கு கால் ஆரம் மடைஜெரி முன்கை கடகமோடு ஈத்தனன் என் நாடோ என நாடும் சொல்லான் யாரீரோ என பேரும் சொல்லான் பிறர் பிறர் கூற வழி கேட்டிசினே இரும்பு புனைந்து ஏற்றா பெரும்பெயர் தோட்டி அம்மலை காக்கும் அணி நெடுங்குன்றின் பளிங்கு வகுத்தன்னத்தீம் நீர் நலிமலை நாடன் நல்லி அவன் எனவே a long verse no doubt but one filled to the brim with exquisite treasures the poet's words can be translated as follows wearing a ragged attire akin to the dark wing of an eagle in the cold season i was leaning against the trunk of a jackfruit tree forgetting myself in the exhaustion of roving across lands many just then there came a man with his beautiful anklet clad legs streaked with the blood of the deer herd he seemed to have hunted his handsome head shining radiantly like the bright rays of blue sapphires he appeared to be a man of riches this skilled archer hunter as i attempted to rise so as to salute him with his hand he gestured to me to sit before his helpers who were apparently lost in the forest path could find him and arrive there he took the white hued fatty meat in the texture of butter and quickly roasted that in the fire that he lit he then handed the cooked meat to me and said eat along with your huge group of kin we ate it as if it were ambrosia and found our harsh hunger parting away and then we drank the cool waters of the cascade pouring from above the mountains in the cool slopes filled with many luxuriant trees as i prepared to leave he hastily came to me 
saying, We are jungle people and I don't have a worthy ornament other than this to give you. He gave me the pearl necklace that he was wearing on his chest and also handed me his forearm armlet with a tight clasp. Which is your country? I asked him. He mentioned not his country. Who are you? I asked him. He mentioned not his name. And then I heard many, many others in my path say, Do you know that which goes by the great name of Toti, not made by melting iron, but a huge mountain with tall peaks, with sweet and clear waters akin to cut marble? He is Nalli, the protector of that huge mountain country. Wasn't it like a twist-filled modern short story? That's how it seemed to me when I understood the meaning and flow of this verse. Let's delve into the nuances hiding in each detail etched here. The poet starts by sketching his state and to do that in a visual manner, he calls to his aid a raptor bird which could be an eagle, a falcon or kite from these parts and points out to the state of its dark wings in the cold and wet season. That image he projects on his own tattered clothes, muddied and torn after his relentless travels. He describes his state of stupor as he seemed to sit there leaning against the trunk of a jackfruit tree, forgetting that he even existed. So tired was he. We have met the narrator of the story and sensed his state. Now another character enters the scene. Instead of wordy descriptions, the poet points to the bloodstains of this character's anklet-clad feet and tells us that the man had been hunting deer. The poet comments on the radiant face of this person and concludes that the hunter before him must be a person of wealth. In reverence, when the poet attempts to stand up so as to greet this newcomer with the right respect, seeing the state of the poet, that person raises his hand in a gesture asking the poet to sit and be as he was. A seemingly casual sign, but within this the poet makes the thoughtful and caring nature of this character resound aloud. A moment to meander and tell you how even today it's almost a reflex action for many Tamils to stand up when an elder approaches. In this poet's stance, I find the origin for this habit. Returning to our scene, we see the poet informing us that the person's helpers must be lost somewhere in the forest path. Why should he specifically tell us about this? Possibly because people of eminence always travel with the company of helpers and also if those helpers had been with the hunter, the poet would have been informed right away who that person was. The poet says before those helpers could catch up and arrive there, the hunter quickly lit a fire and roasted the fatty meat of deer he had with him and offered that to the poet and his group. Don't we know how delicious something tastes when eaten in a hungry state? The poet conveys the exact same feeling, calling that food ambrosia. Hunger satiated indeed by fatty meat, but then what to do for the thirst that would rise next? No worries, for there it was a stream gushing from a cascade above with the sweetest of waters. After drinking to his heart's content, the poet prepares to take leave. 
Just then, that hunter hastens to the poet and says apologetically that he has nothing else precious to give the poet because they were jungle folk and hands over the pearl necklace he was wearing and his armlet too. A pearl necklace is pretty precious to us in the 21st century. Was it not so to these ancients? Maybe because it was ubiquitously found in these Tamil regions, was it considered like the common beads of today? Anyway, in this act we can sense how the hunter felt that just giving food to the poet was not enough and that he had to give him something more lasting. After receiving these supposedly not so precious gifts, the poet questions the hunter about his country and name and receives no reply from him. And then as he goes on in his path, the poet continues his investigations and learns that the person he had just met was none other than the protector of the lush Toti mountain and to differentiate the name of the mountain from its namesake of a goad or hook, the poet in Sangam style says it's not made by melting iron. He then concludes by pronouncing the name of that hunter as the mountain monarch Nalli. In the kindness of the king, who did not even share his name, we can see that his charity was not for praise but to truly allay the suffering of his fellow human. The ruler did not care if the poet never found out who he was and never shared about the incident to anyone, a true mark of unconditional compassion. And through the many layers of this verse penned in a classic show-don't-tell style, the poet makes the character of King Nalli soar as tall as his mountains. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sangam Lit and journeying with me to ancient lands and minds. Please visit nandanikarki.com to share your thoughts and do spread the word about Sangam Lit. Until next time, Nandri. Vanakkam.